This is Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International, a non-denominational end times ministry dedicated to fulfilling a divine commission to trumpet forth warnings from God concerning the imminent second coming of Christ and the impending judgment of God upon the ungodly. God has sent Dr. Hansen to many nations of the world with a solemn warning to the political and religious leaders and citizenry to repent of their sinfulness and wickedness or face the catastrophic judgments that will soon be unleashed upon the unbelieving world. Listen now to the warnings of our compassionate and merciful Creator conveyed through His faithful prophetic spokesman, the host of Warning Radio, Dr. Jonathan Hansen. This is Dr. Jonathan Hansen. I'm the president of World Ministries International. I want to welcome you to the Warning Program. Wherever you're watching or listening, welcome. This is a live audience. We're in our college chapel here at World Ministries International, and there's children. Now, I have with me today Bree Keaton. Uh, Bree ministry is to the pygmies in Africa. And so she'll be sharing with you today. Bree? Thank you. It's great to be with you today and to share a few things about God's Word and the pygmies and some current events, some things the Lord is showing me about things going on in America. So I want to start with a scripture, and this one is unusual for starting a program. But this is Exodus chapter 1, verse 12. And it says, The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. So this is interesting. Sometimes in a time of affliction, the church will grow. And this is something that people don't like to hear. But it seems to me, personally, that the church of God has declined greatly in the last days. And it is a sad thing to the Lord of hosts. The people have become passive. God doesn't want a passive church he wants a warrior church that will fight the good fight of faith and take back the land by force. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. And God is not pleased with the lukewarm church. God wants us to be hot or cold. Now this is Revelation 3. So right here it says that affliction arose. And because of the affliction, the people of Israel multiplied. Let me read it again. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. So I hope that won't be the case for us, but it is looking that way to me, like it's going to take some kind of impetus to get the church back on her feet, to let her arise and let God's enemies be scattered. And so... I want to talk to you about a couple of unusual things just to start with. Uh, it, it so happens that I'm in the Congo a lot. The Congo is the most dangerous place on the planet. There are over 150 armies fighting in there, and a lot of them are jihadist. 
In fact, the most of them are jihadists. And they kill everyone that gets in their way. And the new wave of jihad in East Congo is not convert or die. They're just kill, kill, kill. Because they're trying to take East Congo away from the Congolese people. This movement is highly funded. And it is very dangerous. But I've been in the Congo 14 plus years now. I've led well over 80,000 pygmies to Jesus. And they are serving Jesus in the Congo. So the jihadists are targeting my pygmies as we speak. They murder them, they behead them, they rape them, and they eat them. Yes, you heard me. They eat them. So the pygmies are in a conflict zone, particularly in the east of the Congo, where I have seven villages there, 20 altogether. Now, the Congo, you could fit three of Texas in there. It gives you an idea how big it is and have room to spare. And so I have pygmies all over the Congo, but the east of the Congo is where the most of the conflict is right now. So what I started doing uh, when I realized last spring how bad it was and the surge of the jihadists, I, I prayed all summer long and I thought, I have to get the pygmies out. I have to rescue the pygmies. But I want you to hear me. In the midst of the storm, God caused pygmies to begin to triumph. And the pygmies didn't lie down. They began to fight back, but not the way you think. They fought back by winning souls. You see, they love Jesus. The pygmies can't read or write because they're actually hunter-gatherers. And when I build them villages, we go in with my team and teach them to plant and harvest, which is a whole different lifestyle for them. But they listen to the Word of God every night around the campfire. It's an instrument called a proclaimer. And by the time I come back second and third time, they have memorized the whole New Testament. Some of them can quote the whole thing. And so they fall in love with Jesus and they want to serve him. So the way they fight back is by going out to the big Africans who hate them. You see, the pygmies are small. So when I say big Africans, I mean the tall ones. And they go to them and they win them to Jesus. There were three men in the Ebola zone, which is where a lot of the conflict is, the Ebola and North Kivu regions. And there were three men there who were retarded, uh, mentally challenged, three men. I have a picture, and they're all on the front row, and you can see very obviously they are mentally challenged. But after I led that whole group, there are about 3,000 pygmies in that tribe, to Jesus. The next time I came back, those three men were healed, and they were no longer retarded. And so they, three of them, their best friends, they came to me and they said, please, please buy us a bicycle. And I said, what do you want the bicycle for? And they said, we want to go to the big Africans who hate us and tell them that Jesus loves them and tell them that he healed us and we're no longer retarded. And I said, you've got your bicycle. And we cut the money from another program, and we bought them a bicycle. And sure enough, those three men went together, and they won many souls for Jesus. What a story. What an awesome testimony. So these are the precious pygmies that are really under attack right now. Please pray for them. And what I did 
over a period of three or four months, I started getting them out and bringing them out of the conflict zone. The trouble is now they are starving to death. They're just squatting in fields. I had to buy them tarps and they're just, they just erected the tarps and they're living under there. Some actually drowned to death under tarps in the rainies. It was terrible. But they're starving because there's no food. So if God moves on your heart, please help us to help feed the pygmies. There are about 10,000 of them that have escaped being murdered and raped and beheaded and eaten. And now they're starving. So that's the situation that we're facing. But here's a scripture. I was thinking about Zechariah this morning, and I wanted to read from Zechariah chapter 2, verse 5. This is one of my favorite scriptures. It says, For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire round about, and will be the glory in the midst of her. Now, it was about uh, three years ago, I was in the Congo, and we were going to a certain group of pygmies. We had to trek. I have a, a large staff that work for me there, and some of them are scouts, some are mobilizers, some are negotiators, some are helpers. Anyway, I have one man, he's my head scout, and all ten of his brothers work for me and are part of this mission to rescue and help and help pygmies to know Jesus. So we were hiking through the jungle. We could hear the jihadists behind us screaming, la, 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 and we could hear them, but we felt that we were ahead of them and perfectly safe. We came to the top of a mountain. We went down the mountain, and we went across a short field, and there was a river. We needed to cross the river, go up the mountain, and on the top there would be the pygmies. We could hear them singing and dancing. They love to sing and dance, so they were all up there waiting for us to come and preach the gospel to them. Of course, we bring many gifts like uh, salt, clothing, uh, food, gifts. Every time we go, gifts. We don't go empty-handed, not ever. And so we're carrying all these heavy sacks. Now we get to the river, we're about to cross the river. And I heard extremely loud screaming behind us, and we all turned around, and lo and behold, there were 200 men with machetes and machine guns chasing us down that mountain, and they were screaming, coming to kill us, I suppose to take the supplies, maybe to kill the pygmies too. And I saw them coming, and my staff said, you get across the river, and we'll protect you. I said, no, I'll protect you. How many know the word of God is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword? Greater is he who lives in me, come on, than he that is in the world. So I turned, and I began to shout, and I began to pray, and I, I shouted, no weapon, and I put my hand out. Formed against me shall prosper. And I'm shouting scriptures like this. And suddenly the glory of God came upon us. My staff were out this way and out this way from me. And we're facing down this army come to kill us. You know, most people, I could stop here and tell you that most people would run away at this point. They'd run across. What's the use of that? 
Either God is for me or he is not. Either God will save me and honor his word or he will not. You see, it comes down to whose are you? Do you belong to the God of fear? Or do you belong to the God of faith? You can't live with a divided heart. You can't live in fear and faith. And this is how I started today. You can't be lukewarm with one foot over here and one foot over here straddling a fence and hope to live in a situation like this. You must choose this day whom you will serve. You can serve the Most High God or you can go and serve the God of fear. And I'm going to tell you, if you serve the God of fear in the Congo, you'll be dead. But greater is he who lives in me than he that is in the world. So I stood my ground and I kept shouting scriptures and I looked and there were angels this way, fully armed, angels this way, fully armed. And I kept shouting scriptures and suddenly all these men that came to kill us stopped and started screaming in terror. And they turned around and ran back up the mountain. And this, my staff were going, what just happened? I said, God, just like Elisha did, God opened their eyes that they might see. And sure enough, there were angels, so many armed angels. And those men that came to kill us saw this vast army and they ran in terror. Isn't that the God we serve? You see, you get in trouble and he'll be a wall of fire around you and a hedge of protection. If only you'll believe. And that's what it comes down to. Are you a believer today? You see, it's not by power. Come on, come on. It's not by power. Your power, no. And it's not by might. Your might, no. But it is by my spirit. That's right. Saith the Lord of hosts. You either trust God or you do not because we are entering into the end of days. How many know that's true? We're already well into this thing. And we need to learn to trust God with all our heart. You see, that's a four-part scripture there in Proverbs. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Everybody hold your hands up like this. Hold, hold, hold one hand up. It'll do it. Number one, trust the Lord with all your heart. Number two, lean not into your own understanding. Ooh, that's a tough one because our, our mind starts going. We can't allow that. We stick to the word of God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Number three, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And number four, everybody, and he will direct your path. This is powerful. If we can walk in all four of those, nothing will be impossible to him that believes. So this scripture in Zechariah, I love to quote it. I just quote it all the time. And we can stand on the word of God because it is powerful. It is strong. And it will hold you up in the time of trouble.
Now I want to talk to you about a couple of things that I feel are very, very important to all that's going on in our world today. You see, what's going on in the Congo is the tip of the iceberg because it's going to spread all over the world. How many have read Revelations recently? It's very powerful, and I recommend this week, open it and read it, the whole thing, and understand the liars that say, and there are famous prophets that are going around saying, Revelation will not come to pass because God loves us too much. I'm hearing laughter, but I think you should have scorn on your faces. This is ridiculous. To deny the word of God and call yourself God's prophet? This is, this is prophesied for the last days. There'll be prophets that'll, you know, lie to you. And the people will listen to these lies. And they'll want to hear all the, I call it the schmooze. <laughs> it's just a lie. Oh, no. I, I heard a woman, just a pastor's wife one time, I was talking about Revelation. I don't like to talk about it too much because people get all depressed. But I think you need to read it. So you know what's happening. Really? Yes. Yep. Amen. And she says, I'm not going through that. I'm out of here. I said, well, honey, good luck to you. I don't believe in luck, by the way. The word luck ties to Lucifer. That's where she's headed because she doesn't believe the word of God. You see, we're going to go through the storm triumphant. I want to hear an amen. Amen. You see, we're going to show the world, come on, what a real Christian looks like. We don't run from the fight. We run to the fight. The enemy may be huge like Goliath, may be gigantic with great power and a big voice and a big sword. But you have the word of God, which is more powerful than any two-edged sword. Come on. If all you had was a little slingshot, come on, where are the Davids now? Where are the Davids in this world that are willing to make a stand? You know, the, the people of America have become a nation of cowards. They're afraid to make a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and that's a rebuke. And I mean it. If ever there was a time to make a stand, it's now before it is too late. So I want to tell you this is the year of the Gimel. The Gimel is the third letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Three. This is 2023. Do you know what the Gimel means? Repentance and restoration. And this is the year of revival if... We repent and are restored. And so, I believe God wants this. I believe God wants the repentance and the revival, but the repentance must come first. There have been fake revivals in our world. How many know that's true? Fake revivals. Do you know what that is? Well, all this stuff is happening, but nobody's repenting. We're just wallowing in all this fakey stuff. Hey, wait a minute. Without repentance, there's no real revival. And I believe in it. Do you know 
This Asbury thing that happened recently, do you know how it kicked off? One young man ran forward weeping, and he began to repent and confess his sins, and revival broke out in that college. How about it? You see, that's how the spark was revival. Repentance and revival. So this is the year of the Gimel. Revival. Amen. Everybody with me so far? In the Hebrew reckoning, this is the year 5783. And guess what happens if we don't repent this year and usher in the great revival? Next year is the year of judgment. 24-4 is judgment. So we need to usher this in. How many have heard about the Euphrates River drying up? You see, there is a sign in Revelation that's a very important sign. The river Euphrates has dried up, and they found four tunnels into the deep underground under that river. Four tunnels. And then there have been reports of people hearing screams and cries coming out of there and chains rattling. Ooh. This is a sign of the end of days. And yet, we're all just sitting there watching filth on TV and, and throwing our lives away and wasting our time. But now I tell you is the time to set your, your plans aside and take up your cross and follow the Lord. Each and every person, both in this room and those who are watching, God has a call on your life. God has a divine purpose for you. You were set into this last day for a reason and a plan, and you have a great destiny. And God has called you. You must never give up. You must never back down. There will always be people who get in your face and say, you can't do that. Who do you think you are? How dare you do that? You're too old. You're too young. You're too black. You're too white. You're the wrong race. You're the wrong. You don't have enough money. You're, you're too sick. You're too poor. There are so many excuses. But God says, stop and consider me. Through me, all things are possible to him that believes. So God is looking for the faithful, not the fearful. God is looking for those who will make a stand, not those who run away every time the danger comes. And I've got to say that my staff stood by my side when all those people were running toward us to kill us. It is to their credit that not one ran away. You see, all of us have laid our lives down. We understand working in a war zone. We understand having been shot at, chased with machetes, threatened ceaselessly. In the night I lay down to sleep. I can hear the voodoo drums this way. I can hear the jihadist rebels this way. Rat, tat, 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 tat. I can hear their guns. And I lay down and I sleep in perfect peace because my mind is stayed on the Lord. There have been times... The Lord will wake me in the night or wake my head scout or wake someone on my staff and say, get up, 
Get everybody going to the jungle. They're coming to kill you. We do exactly that. We get up. We go sit under a tree in the jungle. That's real fun in the middle of the night. <laughs> a lot of predators in those jungles. And I'm not just talking about snakes and animals. But the thing is, listen, be ready. Do what God says and be quick to do it. None of this, well, I, I was trying to sleep, Lord. I think I'll just go back. No, sir. Now you're dead because you didn't jump when God said jump. So God is going to give directions in these last days. He's going to say, go here. I think here's the answer. Yes, sir. Right. If you're a good soldier, you'll do what he says and you'll do it quickly. Amen? Yes. Got to learn these things. Now, I want to talk about something that's going to really shock you. Are you ready? Okay. Uh, how many know that there was a prophet, and he was headed, he was a real prophet, by the way, and he was headed off to curse Israel. Does anybody remember who this was? Oh, yes. Balaam was a real prophet. But somebody paid him some money. Are you listening? And he was willing to betray Israel. And God had to use a donkey to talk to this man and tell him, no, don't you dare. And so he, he had the fear of the Lord on him then, and he did not go and curse Israel. So if God can use a donkey, can God use anything he wants? That's all I want to know right now. Can he use any vector or venue that it pleases him to use? Yes or no? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. <laughs> okay. So that leads me into what I have to say about what I think the coming revival will entail. Are you ready? Okay, there was a prophet, and he prophesied that when the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl, Revival would break out in America. Now, he was a real prophet, but he was not a perfect man. How many know God calls people not perfect people? Yes. And so a person could be a prophet and still not be a perfect person. Is that true or false? A prophet can make mistakes, and that's all true. But the thing is, God calls people who are willing not perfect people, because there's no such thing as a perfect person. So I wanted to lay that out. This prophet prophesied Kansas City. Now listen, the Kansas City Chiefs had not won a Super Bowl in 50 years. That's not a good track record. Who agrees with that? I'm not a football fan. In fact, I don't like football. I can't stand to watch it. I feel like I'm wasting my time. But I will tell you that the Kansas City Chiefs are owned by Christians, the Hunt family. They're strong Christians and leaders. I'm from Kansas City, by the way, Kansas City, Missouri. And so the Chiefs are our team there, and they're owned by Christians. Most of the Chiefs are Christians and the staff, the coaches. So now... <clears throat> Two or three years before 2020, this is interesting now, they hired a certain coach. They brought him in from another team. He was excellent. He was the right guy. And then 
You see, because they lost for 50 years, they had first and second pick of who they would hire on a given year. So they p skipped pick one. <gasps> you don't do that. They skipped pick two. <gasps> you really don't do that. And they went to pick three, a fine young man from Texas Tech who had taken them all the way, won everything, high school and college, and his name was Mahomes. Fine young Christian man. They hired him, pick three. You don't do that when you're 50 years down. You just, you just don't. Okay. But they did. Why? He's a Christian. And they, they saw something in him, a spark, a spark of excellence, a spark of genius. And they hired this young man. And he came in and rallied the whole team. It was amazing what he did. And as soon as he got the chance, he led the team to win the Super Bowl 2020. Now, understand, we lost for 50 years. Suddenly we win, and the prophecy is set to come to pass. Everybody with me so far? Because it's a miracle. It's a miracle after 50 years. And the whole city was in an uproar. But remember now, the reason I was excited is revival. I want that revival. Oh, man. So I was cheering them on. <clears throat> okay. Guess what happened immediately? Anybody? COVID-19. And it shut the whole nation down. Do you think it's possible that the devil did not want that revival? Yes or no? Do you think the devil would fight a thing like revival? Anybody? Yes, he would. And I see it as a demonic attack from the second heaven. All right. So that was thwarted because of the lockdowns and the oh, be afraid and so on stuff. Next year, we went to the Super Bowl again. I won't discuss that. I'm going to skip that. There were reasons we lost that were all horrible. Not our fault. All right. Third year. The year of the gimel. What did I tell you about the gimel? Repentance. Come on. Do you know the last great revival in our nation was at Asbury in 1973? Come on, that was 50 years ago. Come on. That's the last time we won. And guess who led that? It was Mahomes' father. He was the quarterback of the team that won that year. You can see God's hand on this thing. I told you again, I don't like football, but I do love God. Amen? All right, so now we won in 2023, the year of repentance and revival. And we won 50 years since the last great revival, and now, boom, we've got it. What happened immediately after we won that Super Bowl? Anybody? Come on. Asbury. And how many colleges busted out in revival? Even secular colleges, not all Christian. And do you know that it exploded overseas? In Uganda, Israel. I heard all these countries that were moving into revival as soon as this happened. Now, 
What? Oh, I, I should tell you. In the NFL, National Football League, there's only one team that has church on the grounds next to the stadium before every home game. Guess which one it is? The Kansas City Chiefs. We have church, and the, the Hunt family said, we care more about Jesus Christ and people going to church than we care about football. What other team owners would ever say that? So they, they don't care. But they said, we want you to go to church so you can go to church and walk right across the grass and go to the stadium. How about that? So this is something. They care about Jesus more than they care about football. I don't know of any other team like that. I feel like God selected our team for this purpose. It's a sign and a wonder. So now, we know that the Asbury thing happened. It was great. It was awesome. But now, what we really need is for this to go on. We don't want it to stop just because the dean of the college shut it down so the kids would go back to class. I wish I was dean of that college. We'd have shut nothing down. We'd have kept going. But I'm not the dean of that college. Uh, the college I go to, I know they would have kept going. You know, where I got my doctorates, they're on fire. They love the Lord. But those people thought that class was very important. I'm sure they got hateful calls from parents going, why isn't little Johnny in class? So they shut it down. Now, this thing is spreading. Do you want to be part of it? <clears throat> yes or no? Yes or no? You see, you got to choose whom you will serve. There are things you have to lay down in order to take up the cross. Yes? Do you guys, do you guys ever realize you have to take up a cross? The day you were born again is the day that you joined an army. You joined an army. Now, what army was that? Anybody? God's army. Remember the song, God's Got an Army Marching Through the Land? And I love that song. I used to march around my house singing it and waving my sword and praising the Lord. I couldn't help myself because when I was born again, I was so in love with the Lord. I was so thankful. I was so grateful because I was actually in a hotel room in Florida traveling as a musician and as a warm-up act for rock stars. And, and I was trying to kill myself, and God intervened. And I was so thankful, I just threw away that life altogether. I canceled everything. I turned my back on that life, and I came home to serve the Lord. He who is forgiven much will love much. True or false? Yeah. See, the more you're forgiven, the more you're going to love. And I was very much zealous and on fire, and I had lots of zeal and zero wisdom, and I did a lot of stupid stuff. <laughs> but we won a lot of souls in the process, and it was very exciting. Now I want to see each individual revived within yourself so you can go and bring that spark, bring that fire to a desperate world. I want to know if you're with me so far, because this is a big deal. 
I want to talk about my favorite revival. This one lasted four full years. You know that's good, right? This is called the Lewis Awakening. And it began right after World War II on a little island off the coast of Scotland, Lewis Island. And it began in 1949 through 1953. It was one of the most amazing things the world has ever seen. So here's what happened. There were two elderly ladies. You see, oh, I'm too old. I'm just too old. You know, I just, I can't get up and I can't go any, do anything for the Lord because I'm too old. Wait a minute. This one was 82 and one was 84. And the 84-year-old was blind. And their names were Peggy and Christine Smith. And they were faithful. They loved the Lord. And one day they got a vision from God. And the vision was that they saw the young people on the island flooding into the churches and repenting and coming to Christ. And so they began to pray into that, the two of them, every night from 7 p.m. until the wee hours of the morning. They were on their knees praying and praying and praying. Oh, God, bring this vision to pass. You see, it seemed impossible at the time because there were no young people in any church on that island at the time, not one. See, after the war, people went kind of crazy. That was true all over the world. And so there was a lot of sin and all the young people were in the dance halls and the bars and they were doing things they shouldn't do and they were certainly not coming to the Lord. So as the two of them prayed and prayed for the young people to flood into the church and for revival to come, they decided one night, hey, let's ask the elders of the church there in Stornoway, which is one of the little uh, uh, cities on the island. And they went to their elders, please, would you pray with us? And all the elders said, oh, yes, oh, yes, we'll catch the vision with you. And so all of them got together and they were on their knees on the floor in that church, straw floor. Can you imagine? You, you guys ever get down on your knees to pray? Do your knees start to hurt? Owie, owie. Well, for me, when my knees start to hurt, I'll get a pillow for each knee. And I'll, I'll get on those pillows because my knees start hurting me. But do you know that they prayed for hours every night on their knees in that straw for weeks, months? One night, they were all praying a certain scripture, which is my favorite revival scripture. And I want all of you... Just start praying this scripture every single day and you start crying out for revival and then act on it. Get on your knees, cry out. And here it is, Isaiah 64. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens. That means open them, tear them apart, pour out of your spirit. So it says, oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, O Lord that the mountains might flow down at thy presence as when the melting fire burneth. The fire causeth the waters to boil to make thy name known to thine adversaries. Ooh, I love that. 
Do you love that? That the nations may tremble at thy presence. Wow. Now there's a revival scripture for you. My favorite, my personal favorite. And if you really want revival, we need to get serious about it and really press into the Lord. And of course, they had other scriptures they were praying, but that was the number one catalyst for this uh, thing to break out. Now, <clears throat> I want to read you something from the Stornoway Gazette that was published before this broke out. And it shows you something that I think, this is what the Presbytery, uh, they said in the Stornoway Gazette, remember that's the, where the little church was, where they were all praying. They said, the Presbytery of Lewis, that would be Lewis Island, having taken into consideration the low state of vital religion. Would you say there's a low state of vital religion in America? Not just here, it's around the world. Very sad state. They call the people to take a serious view of the divine displeasure. Do you think God's displeased with the stuff that's going on in our nation? How about taking five-year-olds and cutting their genitals off and telling little boys that they're little girls? You see, we, we've come to the place where we're calling good evil and evil good. Does that sound like scripture to you? See, it's all happening right now. If you can't tell me what a woman is, something is seriously wrong with you. But yet those are the people leading our nation now. What has happened to this once great nation founded on scriptures, our laws, and everything that we have written to reflect the glory of God? Our own revolution was to be set free from a wicked king. King George III was a tyrant. He was wicked. He was actually coming down hard at that day on the Christians. He made it a law that they had to report what they were going to say before they said it. And they weren't allowed to preach anything outside what the king said was acceptable. And they weren't allowed to speak out against the king. Do you know what happened? Patrick Henry, my mother, was related to Patrick Henry. And I heard about Patrick Henry my whole life growing up. And my family had a book of all the things that no one knows about that he just said and did that's never been recorded. I have a whole DVD on this called, uh, let's see, it's called Give Me Liberty. I have a whole DVD on this, all the things that Patrick Henry did and how he saved America. But just back to this, he was a preacher and he was a lawyer. He never lost a single case. Never lost one case. The glory of God was on the man. And when he stood to speak, he prayed an hour in the morning and he prayed an hour at night. And he pressed into God. He was a mighty man of valor and a preacher. He would do circuit riding. He got elected to the House of Burgesses, which was kind of like our Senate, but it was overseen by the king. And Jefferson... Washington, Madison, all the guys you've ever heard of were in the House of Burgesses, except for this. Those guys had all been given tens of thousands of acres of land in favor from King George III. 
Do you think they want to rebel, these rich men? No, they're not going to rebel. It took somebody like Patrick Henry. He stood up. He was a man of the people. He had to work for everything he ever got and work hard. And so he came in, the people elected him, and he came in on his first day in the House of Burgesses. He stood up and he said, we have to stand up against King George and we have to stop what he's doing. Because he had gone around and defended all these pastor friends of his that he knew all over uh, Rich, uh, Richmond, Virginia, and all over Virginia. He went around and defended them all in court because the king was going after the Christians. Are you listening? What just happened in our nation? There was a sweet little Christian school and, and, and this crazy person came in and shot six people dead. Three of them children, three of them adults, innocent people. And they shot them dead and the nation did nothing. They didn't care about the innocent Christians that were murdered. They stood with the, the other person who was what, a trans that came in and murdered them for no reason, by the way. This is the state of our nation. The Christians are now under attack. Who agrees with me? Two hands, three, four, five. Okay, there we go. You see, you better wake up. Patrick Henry fought this fight. And here was the last catalyst, the last straw for him. He was riding along, and he came into a certain little town. And in that town, he saw 12 of his friends that he had defended in courts of law from the wicked, lying laws of the King George III. And they were in stocks, and they were being beaten. And he got off his horse, and he said, what's going on here? And they said, they're being punished because... They didn't follow the rules of King George and they were speaking against the wicked laws that he was enacting against the Christian pastors, telling them what they could and could not say. And he watched his friends murdered in front of him. People he knew that loved Jesus Christ. Yeshua HaMashiach. He got back on his horse and he rode up to Richmond, where the House of Burgesses was in session, and he stood up and he made one of the greatest speeches of all time that everybody should know. It's all on that give me liberty. I've performed the whole thing exactly as he did it with all his movements because it was all recorded exactly what he did and how he did it. And so I perform it on there. It's worth a watch. And he ended with the, the thing everybody remembers, the last thing. As for me and my house, give me liberty or give me death. And people jumped up and started hollering, liberty or death. And they all ran down to the courthouse. The men, all of them, they sewed it on their clothes. The women sewed it on their clothes, liberty or death. They all joined up to fight against King George III, who was actually crazy. He had a disease called pargoria, which runs in the royal bloodlines because of all the inter intermarriage they do. The bloodlines are badly tainted. And so he was a lunatic, actual lunatic. Who fights against their own colonies that's making them money? It's stupid.
So King George the crazy loon. So now, so they all began to fight, and Patrick Henry was the first commander-in-chief of the armed forces. You didn't know that, did you? He quit because they spread awful lies about him. The people that hated him and didn't want this war spread lies about him, and he quit. He said, my reputation's at stake. I quit. Washington stepped up and took over. Then Patrick Henry became the first governor of Virginia, and he was governor over and over, I think, five times. But he wrote what we would call the um, Bill of Rights. Did you know that after we won the war, they wrote a constitution for us and wagged it around to the 13 colonies to be signed. Did you know the Constitution had no Bill of Rights? Who knew it? No Bill of Rights. The people that wrote it had been puppets of King George. Are you clear on this? And they thought, well, we'll step into that role. And they wrote, no Bill of Rights for you and me. But Patrick Henry did. He wrote it for the uh, for Virginia, and so they took that. He went in to the uh, to the meetings they had, the the convocations and all, and he stood up and filibustered for three days. When it got to Virginia, he did not want Virginia to sign it because there was no bill of rights, and they wouldn't listen to him. So he got up on the third day and headed for the door. And Madison, who was five feet tall, he was a little bit <laughs> bitty guy, he chased him down. He said, give me that list of the Bill of Rights, and I give you my word. At the next convocation, I will make sure that they pass it. And he said, well, here's a copy. And he went right down to the Richmond Gazette, and he handed it to them. And he said, here's our Bill of Rights. Send it to the 13 colonies as if it was passed. <laughs> and it went to all 13 colonies and all come on come on listen I'm telling you this for a reason the people woke up oh, we all just agreed to something that has no rights for the people and so his action caused the people to wake up and they demanded a bill of rights how about that don't you want to thank Patrick Henry now? All right. So what are they doing now in this day? They're whittling away at him to take him away from us. One by one, they hammer and they hammer and they hammer. And they go past laws the people don't want. You take a poll, 90% don't want it, and they pass it anyway. They don't care. Where are the Patrick Henrys? Where? Yes. Are the Patrick Henrys? Wake up. You see, God's calling a, a, a mighty people to make a stand. But our stand, if we have no rights, maybe they'll put us all in stocks and kill us all like they did the pastors in the day of Patrick Henry. That's why you have to make your stand. Do you understand me? This is a day and an hour not for cowards, not for pacifists, not for lukewarm. 
This is the day and the hour for the sons of God to arise and let God's enemies be scattered. Amen. Amen. So this back, I'm going to wrap this now. I'm going to finish this up and I'm going to tell you, I'm not done yet, but I'm going to tell you the end of it. Here is the Lewis awakening. There was a young man named Donald Smith who was with the Presbytery at the Stornoway Church. And he stood up one night and he shouted a scripture as loud as he could. And he prayed the revelation scriptures and the heavens opened and they were rent. And all the young people that were there in the dance halls, they stood still. They were frozen like this. They couldn't move. And the glory of God hit them. And they ran out of the dance halls. There were 600 of them. And they ran. They saw a bright shining light over the church in Stornoway. And they ran to that church in the night. And the, when the glory of God hit, people fell down on the roads and fainted. They fell down in their boats. They were out cold. Fire set on the houses. Fire trucks came. There were no fires. The houses shook like a hurricane, but there was no hurricane. A mighty storm arose. 600 people jammed themselves into that little church. Children from the dance halls, the young people, were all saved that night. 600. And the next night, 14 busloads of people came from all over the island to that little church, and revival began. And it lasted four years. Now I'm going to tell you, Peggy and Christine Smith and Donald Smith are relatives of Donald Trump. And Donald Trump's mother was born on Lewis Island and her maiden name was Smith. And he was named after the young man who was the final catalyst for the outbreak of one of the great revivals of all time. The Lewis Awakening. God, let it be so here. Let it be so here in America. God, draw your people in the name of Jesus. Lord, rend the heavens. Let your enemies tremble before a holy God. Let your people arise and let the cowards repent. And let the mighty wave of the glory of God hit America one last time and draw us into a great awakening and a great revival. Lord, let it be so and let many come in from the valley of decision. Show us your will, Lord, and let us walk in it. And in this last day, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Again, ladies and gentlemen, we need a revival, it's repentance. Without that, I'm telling you, this nation is going into suffering and persecution. Millions will die. That's right. I'm also leading Eagle Saving Nations. The goal is to get into the NFL stadiums, the NBA stadiums, the civic centers, arenas, churches, and once again, Amen. usher in the power of God through Pentecost. Amen. Then the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which half of the church nullifies, the other half don't seem to care. But Jesus said, you need to tarry, don't even try to represent me without my power 
flowing through you. We need yes. to get back to the words of Jesus, Pentecost, yes. and usher in a great awakening. Yes. Fear takes away deception. Prayer brings conviction. We need to once again be bold as lions, not intimidated cowards like Peter was before he was baptized. Go to my website, www.worldministries.org, www.worldministries.org, and join Eagles Saving Nations. God bless you. Reverend Dr. Jonathan Hansen has written a book titled The Science of Judgment. God is predictable. There is a scientific pattern for the rise and fall of nations throughout history. We need to understand the laws or the rules of design regarding prophecy and judgment. When it comes to the laws of judgment and prophecy, denominational or personal belief systems have nothing to do with the reality or the certainty of the rule of judgment. Dr. Hansen's objective is to warn leaders of nations of the second coming of Jesus Christ and the plagues or judgments that are coming upon these peoples and nations that reject Jesus Christ as Savior according to the Scriptures. Dr. Ronald E. Cottle, founder and president of Christian Life School of Theology, states that this book is a must-read for Christians and other leaders in the United States and in other nations. It is clear, powerful, and well-reasoned. We all owe a debt of gratitude to Dr. Jonathan Hansen for the years that have gone into the research and writing of the science of judgment. This book has more than 300 pages, divided up in five sections. Part 1, The Science of Judgment, has chapters titled such as The Laws Regarding Prophecy and Judgment, Patterns of Apostasy, Purpose of Chastisement, Standards for Justice and Mercy, God Forgives When People Repent, God Holds Nations Responsible for What Leaders Do, Parental Responsibility, The Feasts of the Lord, Solomon's Transgressions and Their Consequences, Righteous Kings versus Evil Kings, Example of King Jehoshaphat, Ungodly Alliances, God is Predictable, God Holds People Accountable, Man Can Turn into an Intelligent Beast to Do Evil. Section 2, The Deception of the Theory of Evolution, has chapters titled as Problems with the Theory of Evolution, Evolution and Racism, Darwin's Hatred of Christianity and Its Fruit. Section 3, Why Must There Be Judgment, has titles such as The Fall of America and Her Destruction, Cult Christianity, Radical Liberal Politics. Section 4, Kings, Dictators, and Presidents, with the following chapters listed as People Choose Their Nation's Leaders, Qualifications for Godly Leadership, Romans 13, Delegated Authority, Satan is in Charge of This World, Not Jesus, if laws violate conscience, we must disobey. Finally, part five, so what must we do? These chapters are listed as, we are in a cultural war, our responsibility to a hostile government, the Christian's science of judgment. With turmoil ever increasing throughout the nations as Bible prophecy is coming to life right before our very eyes, one must read the science of judgment to have a clear understanding of these events and the reasons why. Call 360-629-5248 360-629-5248, that is 360-629-5248, and request your copy of The Science of Judgment for a donation of $35 or more, plus shipping and handling. Thank you, and shalom. Shalom.